at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years no interest plus five months no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Well, I, I want to apologize up front. I, I always... I understand that a lot of times in this program we, we talk about a lot of the bad stuff that's going on, and so I always try to make sure that the show has some upbeat things as well to kind of balance it out. It's tough for a Monday. It's it's just tough for this particular Monday because of all sorts of things going on. The, the winter weather in Wisconsin is crummy. Let's see. If I was trying to give you a positive outlook on what is going on in the stock market, all right, let, let's be the glasses half full guy. Right now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 696 points. Well, Jeff, what, what's, what can you possibly say is positive about the Dow Jones being down almost 700 points? Well, the, the positive is it was almost it was down almost 1,100 a little while ago. The, the stock market has been in an absolute freefall for the last seven days. The NASDAQ composite down 373 right now. It was down about 500 earlier in the day. The NASDAQ is now down for Biden. When Joe Biden took over on January 20th, the, the NASDAQ closed to 13,461, now it's 13,389. So all the gains, at least on paper over the last year, have in fact disappeared. Uh, Dow, not quite that bad, but it's still up a little bit for Biden, but just up a little bit. All sorts of things going on, including inflation running rampant, concerns about what's going on in Ukraine, concerns that you know COVID is never going to be under control, um, all sorts of factors contributing to this, but it, it has been brutal. The stock market, seventh straight day of huge losses. The S&P 500 is on pace for the worst January ever, and the, the problem is there's really not a lot that, that people can end up doing. I mean, now is absolutely the worst time to sell when you've lost all sorts of, when it's down. Um, actually, some people would say if you've got money put aside, this might be a buying opportunity. Don't know about that. But it's, you know, for a lot of people, it's just kind of like ride it out. But if you know folks who, I don't know, are closer to retirement and stuff and they're looking at what's been going on in the last seven days, you can tell that there is a bit of a freakout factor. And I know that there's some people who say, well, people shouldn't worry about it. Well, tell that to folks who've, again, seen all their paper gains in the NASDAQ over the last year just disappear in the space of essentially seven days. Over the weekend, or at the end of last week, there was the story, I think it happened Friday, where the um, performer Meatloaf ended up passing away at the age of 74. Of course, you know, he's very famous for the album Bat Out of Hell and then the reprise that they did about 10 years after that. Well, this is one of these things that just demonstrates to me how sensitive society has become. All right, Friday was the day that Meatloaf, the, the performer, ended up passing away. His real name was Marvin Lee Aday. All right, he passes away. Earlier that day, Weber Grills sends out 
a recipe. Apparently, every Friday, if you subscribe to the, the Weber Grill thing, they will send out a recipe of the week, you know, something that you can make on, on the grill. So Friday morning, before the news of meatloaf's passing had broken, had broken, Weber Grill's sends out to, to everybody who subscribed to this an email saying, hey, here's our latest recipe, and it's a recipe for, wait for it, meatloaf. You can make meatloaf on the grill. So they send this out, and apparently they must have gotten some feedback for it because shortly after sending out the recipe of the week earlier in the day featuring instructions on how to prepare barbecue meatloaf, um, they felt compelled to follow up by sending an apology. Um, this is what they say. At the time we shared this recipe with you, we were not aware of the unfortunate passing of American singer and actor Mr. Marvin Leaday, also known as Meatloaf. We want to express our deepest apologies for this oversight and for any offense this email may have caused. They then offered their deepest condolences to Aday's family and fans, signing off as the Weber family. Uh, what a better reflection of how, how just strange we have gotten in america in 2022 all right meatloaf is a generic sort of product right you know we're having meatloaf on sunday it's a great comfort food so weber grills sends out this recipe for meatloaf and it turns out that a performer who shares that name passes away and they feel compelled to have to apologize for this I mean, apologize for it. I mean, really, at some point in time, don't you kind of need to say there's more important things going on in the world than worrying about, gee, the fact that we're giving a recipe for a commonly known food and a performer who shared that name has now passed away and somebody might take offense at it. Really? Sometimes I think we all have to lighten up, which brings me to our lead-off topic. I know, like, like you, I spent Saturday night watching the Green Bay Packers lose once again in the playoffs. This, I think you can make a very strong argument, was their really their, their best chance in a number of years to go to the, the Super Bowl. They had home field advantage. They had um, a bye week, so their players were healthy. They had, I think, arguably... As strong a team as they have had in years and years, balanced on defense, balanced on offense, horrible on special teams. Matter of fact, I sent out a tweet on Saturday night. I can remember in the middle of December, um, we did a one of our WTMJ Packers watch parties. I happened to be the host of it at the uh, New Berlin Alehouse, and that was the Chicago Bears game. And if you will recall, the special teams were just particularly atrocious in the first half of that Bear game. And I remember saying to the, the group of people that were assembled to New Berlin Alehouse, I said, you know, if it was, I were the coach, I would have fired the special teams coach at halftime. Just found You could have found somebody in the stands who could have arguably done a better job. Well, of course, the Packers didn't do this, and um, they continued with their abysmal special teams, and it cost them the chance to go to the Super Bowl. So incredible disappointment. There's just no doubt about it. Aaron Rodgers afterwards saying that you know he, he doesn't want to be part of a, of a rebuild. He's owed 40-some million dollars on his contract next year. The Packers next to New Orleans have the worst salary cap system situation in the league. Right now they're like $40 million over the salary cap. There's all sorts of players who are, candidly aren't going to be able to be back with the, the Packers, not necessarily because the Packers don't want them back, but because they're, they're just not going to be able to find the money to, to pay them. You've got this salary cap that's there, and they've got to get rid of people. 
one of the big things, one of the big things to kind of get room under the salary cap would be to part ways with Aaron Rodgers. And, again, assuming you could get him to agree to a trade to a team, um, you could bring in a whole bunch of first-round picks for Aaron Rodgers. You could get second-round picks. You could get a bunch of relief under the salary cap, which might let you go ahead and, and sign you know new players. So let's tee this up. After the latest failure by the Green Bay Packers in what I think was probably their best chance in a long time to go to the Super Bowl, recognizing that the reality is the team is in all likelihood not going to be as good next year as last year as this year because they're going to have to get rid of a lot of players is it is it time to take a step back is it time to trade Aaron Rodgers is it time to say look we've had this great quarterback for years and years but it hasn't been enough to get us to the Super Bowl let's see what we can get for Aaron Rodgers let's figure out how we can manage the salary cap we get rid of Aaron Rodgers we get some draft picks we get uh, the ability to perhaps free up some money to retain some of these other players 855-616-1620 that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is it time for the Packers to recognize that maybe we got to take a step back or two, and does that start with moving Aaron Rodgers? 855-616-1620. My answer is it's a hard pill to swallow, but the answer is is yes. I think just if you look at the sheer numbers, if you look at the fact that the Packers haven't been able to get back to the Super Bowl in 11 years, if you look at the reality of the finances, they've got to take a step back, and I think that starts with trading Aaron Rodgers. 855-616-1620. I'm not saying necessarily blow it up, because I think they've got too talented a team to do that, but I think we have to move on from the Rodgers era. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, okay, here's one of our texts, Jeff. Absolutely not. You getting rid of Aaron Rodgers is like the story of getting rid of the goose that laid the golden egg. Well, all right. Here, here's here's the problem. In a perfect world, you say no. I mean, Aaron Rodgers still playing at a high level, but but he's due to make forty six million dollars next year. Okay, they they can't afford it. The Packers are forty million dollars over the salary cap. Even if you restructure his salary, and he he agrees to to take less money. You're still probably, if you bring Aaron Rodgers back, you're not going to have enough money to re-sign Devontae Adams. You're going to not have enough money to continue to pay David Bakhtiari. Then you've got Devondre Campbell. You've got uh, Rasul Douglas. You've got Robert Tanyan. You've got all these players that, that you know you have to figure out how to pay, and there's just not enough money. And I'm not talking about the Packers organization not having the money. I'm talking about this salary cap that is really going to hit them and hit them very hard. 855-616-1620. And that's why I say there's no question in my mind, as currently constructed, they're not going to be as good next year as they were this year because they're not going to be able to keep all the players that they have. And Aaron Rodgers is already saying, I don't want to be part of a rebuild. Well, I, and nobody likes to use that phrase, rebuild, but looks to me like the Packers, in reality, are going to be in that situation because they can't afford to pay everybody. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Um, I'm a big Aaron Rodgers fan, uh, generational talent, Um but, you know, they went into the playoffs probably with the 14th best uh, group of wide receivers out of 14 playoff teams, and 
I, I think they've they've just been lucky, you know, these last three years, and, and some of the wins they had, uh, not to get injured and, and injuries. You know, I, I think they've been lucky in uh, some of the way they won this year. But I think it is time to trade him. You know, is you know as as long you know he might play at a high level for another three years or so, but I think it's time to trade him. Get a bunch of picks. Uh, if you can trade Adams next year, because he won't be the same type of receiver without Rodgers. Uh, trade Bakhtiari and do a reset. And get these guys that have these uh, high salaries, move on from them, and then we'll see what Love can do next year. We'll give him a year to play. And I think the journal guy said beef up our defense. But I, I think now's the time to get what you can for him. You have him for one year. So... Either you would restructure his contract, but I mean, they, and, and the thing I would do after this on December 1st, I would fire Gutenheis because I just don't think he's been a good GM. You know, he's been lucky to have Aaron Rodgers, just like McCarthy was lucky to have Aaron Rodgers. And I think it's time to get somebody else in there because these, if you trade them and you get these picks, it's going to be incredibly important you know, to capitalize and make the right decisions, how you pick people. Like, you don't want to have, like, slow receivers like Lazard. You, you, I don't know if you saw the Kansas City game yesterday, the speed they had. You know, you don't want to oh, – I mean, the, the receivers they had, like uh, Brown. Okay, well, Bob, I was with you. Bob, thank, thank, I no, I it. Bob, thanks for the call. I mean, I, I, I was with you. Thanks for the call. I was with you until the, the getting rid of the general manager, because I actually think the general manager – did a lot of has done a lot of really good things, especially with some of their pickups. Not not everything works, but as a general rule, I mean, I, I think that, that they found a, a lot of, of hits. That, and, and see, for people that need to understand this, this isn't to me a question of you know does Aaron Rodgers have you know years left and can he perform at a high level? Of, of course he can, but but the problem the Packers find themselves in is that because of the salary cap. They can't afford to pay everybody, and Aaron Rodgers sucks up a huge chunk of that salary. So if Aaron Rodgers comes back next year, the supporting cast around him isn't going to be anywhere near as good, which then, I guess, raises the question of if the Packers weren't good enough to get to the Super Bowl this year, if they're going to have younger players, less talent, things like that next year, what makes you think? And and, you know, and the other reality is how many years can Aaron Rodgers at the age of 38 or 39 perform at that incredibly high level. I don't see this as an anti-Rogers thing. I think this is one of these realities that businesses face from time to time when you're you're just looking at the this, these limits. And again, in the NFL, it's a salary cap. If you're going to keep Aaron Rodgers, how many other players do you end up losing? And what's that going to say if Rodgers comes in and says, "Hey, I I don't want to." Um, I don't. I don't want to be part of a rebuild. Well, I think you can argue that the Packers. I don't want to say rebuild. They've got a lot of good parts, but they're going to lose a lot of people if you keep Aaron Rodgers. Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thank you for receiving my call. Yes, um, all I said, Aaron Rodgers makes more money than Carter's has pills. Mm-hmm. Um, if he wants to manage and he wants to control, let him pay for it. Let him take a major pay reduction. Let him pay for all the guys that he wants to come back next year. And now he's king of the universe. If they win, he's king of the universe. And I'm, I'm not sure he needs the money. But no. 
let let him take let him take a fifty percent pay cut, and and ask the Green Bay to take that money and buy and rent mm-hmm. all the guys that he wants to win next year, and maybe they'll be golden. Yeah, and if he doesn't do that, you trade him. Well, if he doesn't do that, then it's all about Aaron's ego and the money and nothing else, isn't it? Yeah. Well, thanks for call, Bill. I guess I, I kind of look at this, and I, I, I mean, I, I don't. I he, he's he's owed this amount of money, and yes, you can agree to get him to restructure stuff, but but at the same time, even if he restructures stuff, that just kind of kicks the can down the road. This is the the Packers were in it this year to win it, and, and I mean, I I respect that, and they they had a lot of veteran players and things like that, and unfortunately, it, it just didn't work out in in large part because I I cannot believe that the I haven't checked the latest wires, but I can't believe that they haven't fired the special teams coach. This was this was a train wreck all around, and maybe it's not fair to say that the special teams coach bears all the responsibility, but it, it, the Packers were a, were a train wreck all year on special teams, and, and I guess everybody just hoped that it wouldn't cost them the game at, at the end, and, and here a, a blocked punt, and yet another missed field goal did I- exactly that. But, you know, clearly the, the special teams coach isn't the answer, and I, I think it's fair to fault both the general manager and the head coach for not getting that fixed up but but i mean i I don't want to look backward i want to look forward from my perspective as a packers fan and i I have to tell you it's just these are the times with tough decisions that need to be made and i know people want to talk about things with their heart and if aaron Rodgers, you know doesn't want to be part of a rebuild but yet he looks at a lot of the players around him that the packers just can't afford to keep maybe the time now is to say look we, we we've got a We've got to move on. We've got to take a step backward, but we're continuing to look for the, the future. And if we move Aaron Rodgers and we trade him and we get a bunch of draft picks and we get a whole bunch of salary cap relief, that lets us go on and sign a, uh, re-sign a number of our players and build a foundation for the future moving forward because they, they played this way like the future was now. And unfortunately, just didn't work out. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Now, a lot of people are texting Jeff. There, there's no way you can trade the the you know the the MVP quarterback and, and things like that. How can you want to get rid of him? Well, at least in my perspective, it's not a question of wanting to get rid of him, but it's a question of again looking at the reality that's out there, which is forty million dollars over the salary cap with all these free agents that are out there or all these other players that are making just a ton of money. You you have to do something, and even if he agrees to restructure his contract, that that still going to leave the Packers way over the salary cap as it is, and they're going to have to make tough choices. So this is the thing. You, you get rid of three or four of the other really good players in order to keep Rodgers, or do you recognize, you know, given the fact that Aaron Rodgers has a relatively short shelf life, I mean, whether it's a year or two or three years or, or whatever, and he's making a ton of money, at some point in time, do you say, look, we've We've gone as far as we can with Aaron Rodgers. This was the best team that we put out on the field in a number of years. We're not going to be able to recreate this team. Maybe we need to kind of take a step back before we move forward. But for everybody who says keep Aaron Rodgers, that's fine. My question then is, all right, explain to me how many of these players who are free agents or the highly paid players, explain to me how many of them you're going to get rid of, and then what is that team going to look like? It's not a good situation, and really kind of disappointing that it didn't end in the Super Bowl win. 
Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. You know, a number of people, you know, rehashing the the mess that was the the Packers special team. One of our texters says, Jeff, a little off topic right now, but I hope you can bring up the last play of the game with our special teams having only 10 players on the field most important special teams defensive player of the season and they're one man short that shows the complete incompetence of the special teams coach yeah it does but this was so predictable all year i mean and actually for the last couple of years the special teams have just been a complete and total disaster and i think is very very apparent now the packers thought that because the offense was good and because the defense was good they'd be able to overcome it and you you just saw how that just was not the case and i do think it's fair to hold both the first of all the special teams coach clearly has to be sacked but it's fair to hold the regular coach and the general manager to to blame for you know not providing the personnel that they need to at least even be average even be average so all sorts of stuff to unpack in what was just a very, very disappointing season and what might have been the Packers' best chance to get to the Super Bowl in a long time. But let, let's move on. No need to wallow in, in that sort of misery. This is a small topic, but it ties into something that I talked about last week. Um, and it, it does relate to big topics as well. Whenever we discuss, for example, auto theft in the city of Milwaukee, which continues to be completely and totally out of control. I have the new crime statistics up here now um 609 608 cars this year stolen that's down slightly from you know 656 at the same time last year but we're only what 23 days 24 days into january so they're still you know averaging 25 cars a day or something that are being stolen and a large number of them are being stolen by juveniles of of the people that get caught doing this and that's only a small percentage of the overall car thefts it it turns out that about 50 percent are are kids 16 and under and there's no accountability in the juvenile court system and the DA refuses to waive them into adult court and all that stuff and whenever we talk about that I always you know one of the things I get both in texts and phone calls is people saying where are the parents and we don't why don't we hold the, the parents accountable why isn't there an effort made to say hey if your 14 year old kid is out boosting cars you know and he, and he gets caught why don't you mom and dad shouldn't you have some liability for you know the, to the people who are now victimized because their car was stolen by your punk kid and there's never really a good answer to that well this is a variation of a story I, I told you last week about this thing that happened in, in Cedarburg. They've got a they've got a community ice rink at, at Cedar Creek Park, and it's something that people up in Cedarburg patronize a lot. They, they look forward to it. It's just a nice community thing, and it's free ice skating and things like that. Well, they've had to close it down twice and delay openings because the ice has been destroyed on two separate occasions. And I'm talking about intentionally destroyed. So what they did is they put up security cameras, and apparently they have identified 11 juveniles who on two occasions went out and destroyed the ice. They'd go out and they'd find, like, imperfections, and they'd chip away at it, and they put big ruts in it. They, They did it once. And then the rink had to be, you know, the opening had to be delayed. They had to come out. They had to spend money to fix it. And then the punks went out and they did it again. 
uh, again causing the, this this delay. Well, well, here's the the story. Apparently, because their their security cameras that they put up there, they they have videos of the ice being destroyed on January 13th. City resurfaces it. The vandals return on the 19th. And so, you know, they, they publicize this. Well, they've now identified it. They know who the 11 kids are. They know who the punks are that went out and destroyed it. So here, here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports this. Security cameras at the rink are rather new, police said. The footage shows kids chipping away and destroying the ice. Police said they notified the parents and warned the children for damaging the property. And then the ice rink reopened two days ago. Police said they notified parents and warned the children for damaging the property. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it's great that you've identified the punks that were out there destroying the ice rink and vandalizing it. I think it's great that you communicated to the parents that your little darling was out there not once but twice vandalizing the ice rink. But this question about warning them for damaging the property, what about making them pay? 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I was the village administrator out in Cedarburg, I would be sending the parents of every one of these little darlings who vandalized the rink twice. I would be sending them a bill for whatever it costs to resurface the rink, including the time of the Parks Department people. Now, it's probably not that much money, but at some point in time, don't we start to have to hold the parents accountable? If the kids go out and knowingly and intentionally destroy stuff, not just once but twice, isn't it time to go to say to mom and dad, look, time for you to pay up because your kid has just cost the community a lot of money. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this might be a wonderful opportunity to make an example. Now, look, and I understand that damaging you know, vandalizing the ice on a public ice rink is not the same as stealing cars and leading the cops on, you know, 100-mile-an-hour chases and things like that. But but to me, this is kind of the broken windows thing. This is these little things that do make a difference. Would it be unreasonable to expect the parents of these 11 kids who repeatedly vandalized this ice rink to have to pay in proportion what their kid did? 855-616-1620. My answer is heck no. Plus, it might motivate the parents to watch what their children are doing in the future. We discuss in a minute. 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what struck me about the Cedarburg story. It's not, this wasn't an accident. And I'm not suggesting that every time a kid goes into a public space and trips and, and damages something that, that you automatically hold the parents accountable. But but the Cedarburg ice rink story is interesting because they, they got it ready to open. You had a group of up to 11 juveniles who went out and intentionally damaged. They vandalized the ice rink. And then 
after it was repaired, they went out and they did it again. They vandalized the ice rink. So now mom and dad, the parents have been identified and warned. Well, what's this warning? I mean, I think at some point in time, a warning, to me, it's, it's almost meaningless. Don't do it a third time. Well, I'm sorry. Once you have these kids that are doing the intentional vandalism, I think it's reasonable to say, look, we want some accountability. And maybe that starts with mom and dad saying, hey, there's 11 or 12 of you that, that did it. All right. It cost us $1,000 or it cost us $500 to repair the rink twice or whatever it costs. Here, here's what. You our guys are all getting a bill, and we expect you to pay it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Pat. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes. Um, the problem is, is there's a state statute which was created back in 1957 which limits liability of a parent to $5,000 in damages. Now, mm-hmm. there's a kicker in that. That $5,000, you have 11 kids involved. That 5000 gets divided by those 11 kids. It's not $5,000 per kid. Therefore, okay. and remember that this was in 1957, what a dollar was worth in 57. In today's dollar, with inflation devaluation of the dollar, I believe you'll find that comes out to somewhere around a half a million dollars in liability. Mm-hmm. Usually, municipalities, schools, and so forth, they spend more money on legal expenses to recoup that money than what it's worth them going after that amount of money. The law well, Pat, needs to be changed. Well, Pat, and, I, and that, that's fine. And, and I, I think, you know, I, I have no objection to that with more accountability. And thanks for the call. But in this particular case, I, I mean, I, it, it could... I guess I don't know how, how, how much it costs to refinish an ice rink and fix this. I seriously doubt the damages were more than $5,000, even with, with that. So this is the deal. I mean, I guess the other alternative is you refer them to juvenile court in Ozaki County, and you have them charged with destruction of property and, and child to be held delinquent. But but otherwise, I mean, I, I, don't, I doubt it costs $5,000. And, and so... So it's only, let's say you divide it by 10 or 11, 10, just for the sake of argument. So it's $500 a piece, even if it were up to 5000 I, I don't have a problem with that. I just think that there needs to be some degree of accountability because that's how you get mom and dad's attention. If little junior goes out and, and not just once, but twice damages this property and does these acts of vandalism and all of a sudden you get a bill for let's say it's twenty five hundred dollars so you even your 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 share is two hundred fifty bucks okay that's still going to get your attention number one it's going to make you perhaps watch your kid a little bit better number two it's going to make you want to hold your kid accountable a little bit better and this is the perfect example of how to do it because again my guess is the the damages aren't going to be huge. You're not talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're not talking about millions of dollars. My guess is you're talking about damage which twice, you know, is, is in the hundreds or the thousands of dollars, but even just a little bit to try to get the attention of of the kids. Um, Jeff, I think at the very least they should have required the juveniles to perform community service hours at the ice rink. Yeah, I think there's a point of that. Jeff, warnings are useless. Vandalism is vandalism, and the perpetrators who are their parents should pay, face monetary consequences. A lot of people like Carolyn Bayview are saying, hey, community service to to pay this off. Um, yeah, that's... That's it. Now, some people are saying, well, maybe the mom and dad just think they're untouchable in, in, in Cedarburg. Well, I, again, I, I, I'm not faulting the cops here, but why warn them? After these kids have vandalized an ice rink twice, the, the time for warnings has passed. I, I mean, if you wanted to give them a pass the first time, 
Maybe so. But now that you're going to go back and you're going to do it a second time, I, I just don't think so. Um, it's the twice factor that I can't get past. Um, Jeff, good luck collecting any of these fines in Milwaukee. Well, okay, but we're not, we're not in Milwaukee right now. We're, we're in, we're talking about, you know, vandalism that occurred in Cedarburg. It's relatively small level vandalism, but this is the whole key to what we talk about a lot with the broken windows theory. We say the little stuff is important and we hold people accountable for the little stuff that the damage to, to the ice rink. And, and I don't mean to minimize that because they had to delay the opening of this. They deprived a lot of people in that community from the ability to use the ice rink and things like that. So I don't mean to depreciate that, but it's not like they, they went out and, and created 100000 or $200,000 worth of damage. Here's a text, Jeff. I think it's a great idea to make the parents pay or send them a bill, but you have to be willing to follow through with small claims action if mom and dad chooses not to pay. Okay, well, that, that's fine. And, and, and then, then you publish the names. Then you let the community know, okay, these were the 12 little darlings or 11 little darlings who vandalized the ice rink twice. This is what the bill is. We billed each of the parents 250 bucks. They're refusing to pay. So, yes, th- these are what your neighbors are doing. Yeah, I, I, I have no problem at all with that element of public shaming as well. I appreciate the idea of warnings, but to me, that that's... Yeah, I'm sorry. Warning somebody after they vandalize the ice rink twice is pretty much useless. Now you got to start holding people accountable. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Coming up in the next hour of the program, the um, violence problem in Milwaukee is not getting any better, as illustrated by. I don't know what word you describe it, but it's a massacre that happened over the weekend. Police still not releasing a lot of details, but six people involved in in a home, all of them murdered. And that's on top of two other murders that happened on Friday. That's eight in the matter of just a couple days. We're going to discuss what's going on with that. I I do want to call your attention to something that's starting today. There's there's a trial that's going on in Minneapolis in federal court, and this this is a follow-up to the George Floyd case. We all know Derek Chevron, and he was the guy Chauvin who was who was convicted a number of months ago in connection with the death of George Floyd. George Floyd was the the man who was murdered by the police officer sitting on his his neck and things like that. Okay, the trial, this is a different trial, though, and it's going to be interesting to watch how this happens. The three other officers who were on the scene at the time of the death of George Floyd, they are all going on trial, and they're being charged with violating Mr. Floyd's constitutional rights. What makes this interesting in a couple different levels is two of the three police officers who are on trial were essentially rookies. They, they were on their first days on the job when George Floyd died. And in one of the cases of one of the two officers, so they're, they're out, they're essentially in training, and they're with these two more senior officers who are kind of directing the, the crime scene. In the case of one of the two officers, the essentially rookie officers are on the scene. He, he at one point, apparently said, don't you think we should roll him over or move him or whatever, and, and, and was told no. This is going to be an interesting case to watch, because just like I thought the Derek Chauvin prosecution was... A very, very clear-cut prosecution, and I don't think 
the, the guilty verdict came as no surprise to me. I don't think it came as a surprise to, to many people who are watching. This is a much more difficult situation because you have police officers, especially in a situation with two of the three. Now, the third officer who was on the scene has a history of police misconduct, and he'd been a veteran for a number of years. Th- that's perhaps a tougher call. But I'm trying to put myself in the position of you have these two rookie police officers who are out there. They are with the people who are training them. And I think one of the compelling arguments, or at least one of the arguments that's going to be made is, all, all right, what do you expect the, these officers to do? They're, they've only been on the job a matter of weeks or a couple months or whatever. And even if they have questions about what's going on, you know, did they knowingly, intentionally and via, violate Mr. Floyd's constitutional rights by deferring to the more senior officers who were directing things on the scene? All I'm saying is this is going to be a much more difficult prosecution, I think, from the perspective of the prosecutors than the Derek Chauvin case was. Jury selection starts today in that matter, and we will, of course, follow it. When we come back, let's talk about the latest example of unacceptable violence in Milwaukee. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Well, again, I, I understand that this is one of these difficult Mondays. You know, brutal winter weather around. You've got the Packers making an unceremonious early exit from the playoffs. you got all these different things going on. And, and, and by the way, in the city of Milwaukee, Crime is not getting any better at all. The, these, the, the statistics are, are just incredible. Two years ago, 2020, 190 homicides, which was just, it, it shattered all-time records. Unthinkable that you could have this many murders. Then last year, 2021, 195 murders in the city of Milwaukee alone. This year, we're, we're on pace, I don't and, and, of course, it's, it's cold outside. I mean, typically, you don't have a huge spike in the murders until the weather gets warmer and stuff. This time last year, according to the Milwaukee Police Department crime statistics, which turned out to be a record year, there were eight homicides as of this time. Well, this year, there's 13. Now, I think that does include what happened over the weekend. But you look at the, these stories, and it's just it's a horror show. Um, Friday afternoon, 3.30 Friday. Um, there was a double homicide uh, uh, around 75th and Capitol. So, I mean, again, you're talking about one of the city's major east-west arteries. According to police, suspects approached a vehicle, walked up. Now, this is 3.30 in the afternoon, broad daylight, Friday afternoon. Suspects approach a vehicle, fire shots into the car, striking three men. 29-year-old Milwaukee man and a 38-year-old Milwaukee man died. 26-year-old sustained serious injuries, was transported to the hospital, and is expected to survive. So that, that's two murdered, um, but, but really only but for the grace of God that it's not three, because you had what appears to be essentially an execution-style slaying at 3.30 on 75th and Capitol in the city of Milwaukee. Okay, so as bad as that is... Apparently what happens, 3.45 on Sunday, the fire department or the police department get this call saying, you need to go over to a particular residence on like um, 
North Twenty First Street to do a to do a, a, a wellness check, and I, I don't know all the circumstances behind it because they've been pretty closed lips with de- lipped with details about this. So the police go over to do this wellness check three forty five on Sunday, and they find four men and a woman dead. Five people dead in the residence. And so that was the story that went out. Well, earlier today, the medical examiner sends that, oh, oh, by the way, we we were wrong. It wasn't four people, it wasn't five people, four guys and a gal dead. It's actually six people that were dead, five men and one woman. And it's now being reported that um, the victims had injuries that are suspected to have been caused by gunfire. So we, we don't know all the details, but it sounds like, I don't know, one or more people went into that house and executed the, the six people that were in that home. So you've got six people dead um, on top of the other two who were killed in broad daylight on Friday afternoon. I would describe Milwaukee as the wild, wild west, but I believe that that would be an insult to to the wild, wild west. And I, I understand that, you know, when Tom Barrett was the mayor of Milwaukee, he, he was just out of ideas, just completely and totally ran out of ideas as to what to, how to deal with this. So, you know, we'd have the usual bromides every time there was a killing about how unacceptable it is. And, of course, all that's accurate. But there's 13 homicides already in the city of Milwaukee, and you're seeing more and more of what I'm describing is these execution-style slayings where people feel compelled and emboldened and comfortable to walk up to a car at 3.30 in the afternoon on a Friday on 75th and Capitol and just open fire and kill or attempt to kill everybody that's in the car or go over to this house and 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 kill five six people all at once our number is 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line now look i've talked about i have talked about you know my you know efforts and, and where i think you have to start which is, you know, toughening, being much more aggressive. I have expressed my frustrations with what I think is a a sense in the community where people just don't feel compelled to come forward and cooperate with law enforcement, which which leads to this lawlessness that you are are seeing that's out there. Um, And and I understand that that's one of the ongoing frustrations that's occurring. But, But there is... So, I mean, I think you've got to get past that. But for the longest time, when I used to talk about crime in Milwaukee, I, I get this blowback from some people saying, oh, you're just feeding into this perception. And the perception is not necessarily the reality. And I'd say, well, first of all, I disagree with you, but also perception becomes reality. If you believe an area is dangerous, um, you're, you're just not going to go there. But I don't think this is even a question of perception versus reality. I think you look at these 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 slayings, whether it's the intentional murders or whether they're targeted murders or whatever, it's demonstrating that you have this incredible level of violence that I, I think causes people to simply say, I don't want to go anywhere near the city. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or alternatively, I want to get out of the city because I I don't want to get caught in the crossfire. I've gotten a couple texts from people saying, well, Jeff, these aren't random shootings. Obviously, these are are targeted things. Maybe they're gang-related or whatever. So maybe 
honest, law-abiding citizens really don't have anything to fear. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I don't buy that. I think this out-of-control crime affects quality of life. It makes people reluctant to want to come to an area. It makes people reluctant to live in an area, stay in an area, you name it. 855-616-1620. So is it perception of a crime problem, or is crime really completely and totally out of control in the city of Milwaukee? My answer is it's not the perception it is, in fact, the reality. The homicides are a leading indicator of it, but you can point to so many other things. Car thefts on down the line. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. You know, I sent out a tweet about this over the weekend. You will remember, and, and there, there's so many murders, there's so many attempted murders, there's so many carjackings, there's so many... Um, car thefts. I understand it's difficult to, to keep them all tra- on track, but on, on Friday, the FBI and the Milwaukee Police Department announced a $10,000 reward seeking the public's help for information leading to the arrest of Cassine Ellis Brown. And, and again, I understand that there's so much incredible violence that we, we can't keep track of it all, but he's the guy who shot the off-duty Milwaukee Police Department detective on January 13th. Remember, this was 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Buffalo Street, the heart of the Third Ward, where you had a woman who pulls up with people in the car, her kids in the car. She's a DoorDash driver, goes into a restaurant to start to pick up uh, food. He's She's attacked by the, this Ellis Brown, who, together with two of his low-life buddies, are driving a stolen car. She's attacked. Um, by him as a part of an attempted carjacking, the police officer attempts to intervene, off-duty police officer attempts to intervene. Ellis Brown shoots him on multiple occasions. Thankfully, the officer will survive and is now in the wind. Of course, you know, Ellis Brown was already out on some stupid, ridiculously low bail for another attempted crime of violence, and that, that brings in the whole thing. But it, it's just, it's one after another. Now they're putting out a $10,000 reward. Hopefully that will... I don't know, maybe make somebody come forward and, and turn turn him in or give information. But, I mean, that's part of the overall problem. You do still have that, that culture of no snitching. Somebody knows where that creep is. Somebody knows where he is. And, and yet now they have to offer $10,000 to get somebody to come forward and end up, you know, doing the right thing. But it's story after story after story like this. 855 616 which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, our text line absolutely just exploding on this. Um, the, the whole idea of Jeff, I've felt for a long time this is all part of the degradation of society, the fall of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. We need more police, stronger DAs, we need more prisons. I don't disagree with any of that, but it's it's just. The, the problem with this is you also need the community to rise up and say enough is enough. We're not going to tolerate it. Jeff, it's the reality. Look at the Milwaukee police officer shot in the third ward. The Milwaukee juvenile justice system must adhere to the strictest consequences. No, yeah, but we don't, of course. Jeff, my husband and I grew up on the northwest side of Milwaukee in the 60s and 70s. We got married. We bought our first home in the 80s in Milwaukee. Milwaukee was a wonderfully safe place for us to grow up and for a time to raise our family. Violence, though, in Milwaukee is not just a perception. It is a reality, and it was our reason for moving our family to these suburbs many years ago. 
Um, yeah, Jeff, sadly, it is a reality. I don't go into Milwaukee. I don't drive I-43 north. Perpetrators have no morals and lives don't matter. Um, no lives seem to matter. Jeff, I'm from Kenosha, and while we have our own troubles, I'm reluctant to go to Milwaukee because of the high murder and car theft rates combined with not knowing the areas well enough to avoid them. Let's talk to Don in Milwaukee. Don, you're on WTMJ. Yes, good afternoon. Um, I just wanted to comment. I think that uh, law enforcement bears a, a lot of responsibility. Not just, I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but I think that we could prevent a lot of this from happening. For one thing, we could stop the NRA from proliferating handguns, in particular small handguns, into an American cities, even if they're bought by somebody in Brookfield or whatever, uh, they go through the thrift system. They end up uh, they end up in the hands of criminals, and and the the drug industry pivots on on the inner cities of the United States, and that's how they you know that's how they you know that's that's part of the marketing chain. So, and not only that, um, we could do a better job. For instance, a pistol could be tracked just like a cell phone. It could ping off, especially when it fires. The technology is in place to do that. Also, I'm told that each weapon has a, has a fingerprint. That should be on file before it's sold. Do I understand you're you're blaming the NRA for the almost 200 homicides in the city of Milwaukee? I mean, really? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, It's just like nobody has, has has the intestinal fortitude to even challenge anything that they do. With, with regards to gun regulations, it's just like the, you know, the well, Republican... Well, Don, uh, my, see, Don, my, my guess Nobody's... is, Don, no, no, but Don, my, my guess is that if, if you're, you're, when, when they, when they catch the guy who was out on bail, who shot the Milwaukee police officer, you know, the off-duty police officer who stopped him from trying to carjack the people, when they catch the, the three people or the people that went up and executed the folks, um, on, on Capitol Drive last Friday, when they catch the people that came in and, and, and shot the six people in the massacre over, over the weekend my guess is none of them got those guns from the nra well not directly but first of all i don't you know i don't back people uh especially a cop killer you know that that you know uh and uh anybody if they're you know i think we should have capital punishment for that uh maybe even a meat grinder but what I'm well, saying Don, is, okay, well, th- Don, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I, look, I understand, and, and and I get the argument that um, it, there, there's a proliferation of guns, and guns are too easy to get, and and I, I don't. I don't disagree with that, but I, to say that if you look at 
the out-of-control crime in the city of Milwaukee, that it, oh, it's, it's because of the NRA. No, it, what it is, it's because you have bad people. In many cases, people who are felons who aren't legally allowed to carry guns, who, who've managed to get them not through legal gun dealers and, and are never held accountable for, for using those guns. Now, if, if you want to talk about penalties, look, I am all in favor of if put me in the legislature, I will vote. Make me governor, I will sign a law that says felon in possession of a firearm, mandatory three-year prison time, no parole. I, I will be the first to sign that. Now, I'm not sure whether I'm going to get a lot of support from, from people on that, but I'll be the first to sign that, that thing. But but we got to confront the reality. And the reality it isn't the talking points about, oh, the Republicans, the NRA. The, the reality is you have out-of-control people. I don't blame law enforcement. Problem here, I, I blame not the cops at least. Now, I do blame this soft-on-crime approach that we've had for years and years where we take people and we put them back out on the street through this revolving door system of justice until they eventually do something that, that's so very, very bad that we have to wheel them in and, and hold them accountable and then say, okay, you're going to prison for the rest of your life. My argument would be put them in jail for a couple years. Maybe, just maybe, they'll get the lesson. And if nothing else, then at least the public will be protected for those couple years that they're there. So if you want to get illegal guns off the street, I'm I'm, I'm all in, in favor of that. But that means holding the people that have those illegal guns or providing the illegal guns, you know, accountable. And that also means that you're going to end up, you know, prosecuting, you know, certain types of, of people, and, and that might be viewed as politically incorrect. Now, for me, uh, public safety is what this this whole thing is all about. But here's the overall problem with this. You have to understand that people do not want to live in areas where there is high crime. You don't want to live in the area. And again, somebody was texting me, well, Jeff, you're, you're making too much of this. The, the people that were killed on Capitol Drive, that was a targeted slaying. Oh, okay, all right, at 3.30 in the afternoon... If I'm on 75th and Capitol, stopped at a red light or whatever, and three guys pull up and start shooting the people in the car that's in front of me, okay, maybe maybe I'm not being targeted, but I'm sorry. I, I don't want to be in the middle of what is a potential gunfight at 3 o'clock in, in the afternoon. If I'm stopping off at, what was the place, Shake Shack, on, on, you know, on, on a Friday to pick up some food, I, I don't want to be in a situation where suddenly there's a woman being carjacked and next thing you know you've got the guy that's got the gun out and bullets are flying and all those sorts of things i mean this idea that okay this is these some of these actions are targeted yeah but but bystanders get in the way of all of this and, and that's what affects livability and this is going to be the next challenge for the people that want to be the mayor of the city of Milwaukee because Barrett did an appalling job of dealing with this and so what what is it going to be how are we going to hold people accountable and I'm talking about more than just this lip service of saying gee you know we just had six people executed we found their bodies over the weekend isn't that terrible? Yeah, it's terrible. What are you going to do about it? That's the overall question. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Over time, things change as to what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And, and the words we use change over time as well. And, and depictions change over time. If you, for example, 
I just finished a, a book on uh, Walt Disney and, and making the, the, how, how he developed Disneyland. It's really kind of an interesting read. But, you know, if you look at, like, some of the, the cartoons that Walt Disney produced in the, the 1940s during World War II and some of the caricatures that were there, it, it would not be acceptable by today's standard. But by, you know, the, the standards of 1940, no, nobody thought anything of it. So, so times do definitely change, and I think we all have to change with the times times accordingly but every once in a while you wonder if we go too far uh the university of washington washington state their information technology department has just released an inclusive language guide that warns against what they call problematic words that they say are racist sexist ageist or homophobic and these are words that you are not to use. I, I want to share a couple of these words with you, and then, then we're going to discuss. Okay, according to the guide, words such as grandfather, housekeeping, minority, ninja, and lame are considered to be problematic words. For example, the language guide states that the word lame is considered problematic because it's ableist. I don't know. I think I've got a pretty decent vocabulary. I've never heard the word ableist. The word is offensive. So in other words, if you were to say, um, man, I- I'm telling you, that that idea, that joke was really lame. You, you're not supposed to say that anymore because the word is offensive even when used. it's used in slang for uncool because it's using a disability in a negative way to imply the opposite, which would not be lame to be superior, the guide says. So you're not supposed to say, man, that was really a lame joke. I can't say that anymore because you might offend somebody who would be lame. The guide says the term minority is not to be used. Minority implies a less than attitude towards a certain community. When minority is used to refer to other races or ability, used as a generalized term for the other, and implies a less than attitude towards the community or communities being discussed. So in other words, if I were to describe a city as being a majority minority city, I I would not be supposed to do that. All right. For all you grandfathers out there, mm mm-mm. You're not grandfathers because the guide considers grandfather a problematic word because the term was used as a way to exempt from some people from a change because of conditions that existed before the change. The term grandfather clause originated, by the way, I'm not making this up. The term grandfather clause originated in the American South in the 1890s as a way to defy the 15th Amendment and prevent black Americans from voting, the guide explains. So you can't, you can't say, hey, this, this, this rule was grandfathered in. For example, um, you know, it's it doesn't exist now. You know, if you were to if you were to, um, I don't know, buy a house, you would have to, you know, pay X amount of fees. But people that were here before that, they're exempt from that because they're grandfathered in. You can't say that because somebody might be offensive. The word housekeeping is another problematic word that the guide recommends should be avoided by others working in the area because it can feel gendered. 
I swear, I don't even know what that means. Phrases with man, such as manpower, man hours, or man in the middle, is considered not inclusive, and thus it is sexist. Um, language, such as no can do, spirit animal, and separating groups based on certain colors is racist or culturally um, inappropriate. Um, let's say using red, white, or yellow to separate different teams is based on racist tropes. So in other words, if you were to say you're on the red team, you're on the yellow team, you're on the white team, you, you couldn't do that because it's based on a racist trope. Spirit animal is also problematic because it uses cultural appropriation. Huh. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, I, look, I, I understand that, again, words and meanings change and context changes, and we evolve as a society, and we always have to be you know, mindful of that. But, but let's tee this up. Okay, if you were to get a guide that said these terms, you can't use them because they're racist, sexist, ageist, or homophobic, no grandfather, no housekeeping, no lame, no minority, no ninja, no spirit animal, no manpower, no man hours, no man in the middle, no housekeeping. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you, if I got a message like that from my boss saying, okay, these are the terms that you are not supposed to say on the radio anymore, the first thing I do is I walk in and I say, have you lost your mind? This memo is incredibly lame. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Do we need to do this in 2022 to be, I don't know, culturally inclusive or is there just a certain point where we want to say, okay, you, you got to get over this, suck it up, buttercup. There's nothing wrong with grandfather. There's nothing wrong with ninja. There's nothing wrong with housekeeping. And, and yes, there's nothing wrong with saying this is how many man hours it took, even respecting the fact that there might be females who put in time developing something as well. And as for all you grandfathers out there, I do not know what the heck your grandkids are supposed to call you if we can't use the term grandfather. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty because I, I'm getting um, a number of people who just don't don't believe this. <laughs> Come on, you're, you're you're making this story up. No, no, no. Matter of fact, I, I just sent out a, a a link to this. The tweet says, "Would it be offensive to say this language guide is lame?" Because uh, that's that's what the University of Washington is now saying. You you can't say housekeeping. You can't say spirit animal you can't say lame you can't say minority you can't say grandfather you can't say housekeeping none of that because people will be offended because it's racist it's ageist it's homophobic it's sexist 855-616-1620 let's start with mike in illinois mike you're first hello good afternoon jeff how are you i'm good what do you think um i could see some of those terms not that I've really ever thought of them, other than, like, the man thing. Like, so, obviously, when you hear aldermen or congressmen, you know, that is a little sexist because there's plenty of uh, congresswomen and alderwomen um, all over this country. Um, but things like um, grandfather, 
that term was used long before there was slavery in this country. So that's, you know, when they come up with these things that were, uh, you know, have a connotation with a word, with a situation that's now, but the word was around before, like master bedroom, that had nothing to do with the, uh, a master right. and slave relationship. That just meant the, the master of the house. So right. grandfather, that's ludicrous. Housekeeping that you can't use it, that's ludicrous. Um, lame I could see a little bit because um, and I never thought about it before until you brought it up. But, yeah, that might offend somebody with a disability. But that is, that is totally in the vernacular of our country and has been pretty much since the 80s, as I recall. But I definitely could see someone you know, being hurt by that. But the rest of those terms are absolutely ludicrous that they're, they're saying, suggesting you should not use those. Well, thanks for the call, Mike. I, I guess, I look, th- this is the bottom line. And, and look, and I, and I appreciate that there are words and phrases that over the years ha- have fallen out of favor because their connotations do have negative things. But I, I got to tell you something. If someone who, I mean, matter of fact, I, I'm not even sure that I, the, the term lame, I, I, other than the only time I ever hear it used as far as like somebody, I, the, only, I, the, the horse went lame or something like that. And I, I guess... With all due respect, I don't think that the horse is going to be too offended. You know, the horse that you've just said is, is turned up lame is going to be too offensive because somebody said that this was a, a lame joke. At, at the same time, I mean, if it really is, I don't know, negative to somebody that has a, a disability, my guess is that person that has the disability has all sorts of other things that are much, much greater to, to worry about. I just the, the people who think these things up, it's just incredible. Um, let's see, um, 855-616-1620. Let's see, um, Jeff, all those things you just mentioned, I have always used those terms, and I will continue to use them. Sorry, people need to get over it. Deb says, the person who came up with this was definitely on drugs. I'd love to record a conversation to hear what words the people do, in fact, use. I mean, okay, the, the, the term minority. I mean, again, I'm, I'm trying to, to figure this out because we, we use the term minority groups, and, and they are, I mean, it, it has a, a specific meaning describing, I mean, to, to set aside, you know, an individual. This, or in the case I was using earlier, you know, Atlanta is a majority-minority city. It has a distinct meaning. You are in the minority all right, for the people who think that the NRA is the one responsible for the gun violence in the city of Milwaukee, I expect that I appreciate your position, but you are in the distinct minority. You are out on the fringe if you make these types of arguments. And, I mean, really, Jeff, sorry to be crude, but people need to really get over themselves. Um, you know, what What about the red and the white and the and the blue teams? No, you, you can't say that. You can't say, okay, you're on the red team. For all you gym teachers out there, be careful, because if you're going to divide people up for, you know, dodgeball or whatever, you, you can't have the red team and you can't have the white team and you can't have the yellow team because somebody somewhere – um, somebody somewhere is going to be offended by this. One of our texters says, Jeff, are these offended people for real? They really need to take up a hobby to, re- to relieve these feelings so they end up not having to um, not having to, you know, visit a therapist. Well, that, that, that is the larger point of this. I'm trying to think of who, who thinks up this, that, that, gee, if you say grandfather, Huh. Some or and, and let's use it in the context they're using it. If you say, okay, this rule is grandfathered in, 
or, or, or this, there's a grandfather clause to do this, which has a very, very specific meaning that somebody's going to say, well, wait a second, don't you realize that the history of that term um, originated in the 1890s as a way to defy the 15th Amendment and pre- prevent black Americans from voting? Now, I, I don't know if that's accurate or not. But but at the same time, in 2022, that's not how anybody interprets that the term grandfather clause, or I shouldn't say anybody. That's not how the over. I, if you're in, if you're one that interprets it that way, you are in the extreme minority. Oops, I'm sorry, I can't say minority because I've just offended somebody with that. John in Burlington. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, I'm. Uh... I mean, I'm not as on board with all, like, the offensive stuff. You know, I don't think we should be as offended as we are. But I also think that, you know, the other side of this whole argument, and you kind of already mentioned, was that, you know, there's words that come in and out of our vocabulary through the years. You know, I was saying to your screener, the word gazunder used to describe a chamber pot. Well, we don't use chamber pots anymore. We go to the bathroom. So we call it a bathroom. So some of it is just kind of natural over time. Things come and go, almost like, you know, (laughs) the word groovy or far out, you know, those things also came and went kind of in fad style. Well, sure. And, and there there are words that at one point in time had, th- thanks for the call, I appreciate it. I, I mean, they're, 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 they, they call it the R word now, and it's, it's a word that I never used, but there was a, you know, it's, it's the R word, a six-letter word that's used to describe um, people with mental disabilities and and that was a word that was common at one point in time and and now you know we, we've just decided that okay we're, we're not going to use that word be- anymore because you know it's offensive to people who have these disabilities and, I, and I'm okay with that so I mean I, I do appreciate that you you always have to be in a situation where you're 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 considering what words mean, and you're applying the standards of the day to them. So, I mean, I, I think that that's always fair. But at the same time, that doesn't stop you from being willing to say, this stuff is nuts. Can, can you say nuts anymore? I don't know. But And, and to say, okay, we, we can't use the term minority anymore. Grandfather is a problematic word. Lame is a problematic word. You, you go through all these different things, and you wonder, Okay, are we really offended by this stuff, or do we have somebody that's out there trying to figure out a way that they are offended? And and that's why I always describe a certain group of people as being the politically correct and the perpetually offended, because if they wake up in the morning and there's not someone to knock that chip off their shoulder, well, then they feel bad about it. And, and I'm not against changing words and considering, you know, what's inappropriate, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, and just because you said something in 1950 doesn't mean it should be part of the vernacular now but at the same time unless we've all lost our collective minds we need to be able to have some sort of judgment to that and these words to me not problematic at all if you want to see the story um again uh you can follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 i've got a link to it i promise i'm not making this story up back with more in just a minute this is jeff This is Jeff Wagner. My favorite text of the day thus far. Jeff, you used the term nuts. I'm sure the squirrel people will be offended that you use that word. Yeah, to all the squirrel people out there, 
I, I apologize if I have offended you by saying the language police are nuts. Coming up in the next hour of the program, I want to talk a little bit about what the, the, the Sarah Palin versus New York Times case. It was supposed to get started today. She's apparently tested positive for COVID, so they've kicked it back to February 3rd. But it raises this really fascinating question about what the media is should the media be held accountable when they get it wrong um, and they knowingly and intentionally get it wrong? We'll discuss that. And for everybody who's writing off Ron Johnson's chances, Ron Johnson has no chance to win. Really interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal. I want to talk about that and a lot more. Don't go anywhere. The third hour of the Wagner Show is coming up. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I've been waiting all day to discuss this with you. I, matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. I, I sent out a, a, a link to this story. And, and to me, it's interesting because I, I don't know what's going to happen. But this is a case that could end up going to the Supreme Court. Now, Sarah Palin, everybody remembers Sarah Palin. She was the vice presidential candidate when John McCain ran in 2008. <clears throat> she, former governor of Alaska, now former member of the Dancing with Stars team and all. She she is a lightning rod with the American left. There's, there's no question about it. And some of the stuff she brings upon herself. She has sued the New York Times and for for defamation for for libel and normally if you are a public figure and she is a public figure getting a libel case to court it, it almost never happens but but she has she she filed a libel suit i'll tell you about it in just a minute the case was supposed to start in front of a jury today she's apparently tested positive for covid so they've kicked it off to february 3rd but she's going to have a chance to present her case to a, a jury and what's interesting is regardless of what happens this case might end up going up to the Supreme Court to have the Supreme Court take a look at, at what the standards have been and how the mainstream media, how the media in general, has been protected from printing false information about public figures. And I think one of the big concerns is whether or not this case leads the Supreme Court to say maybe the, the law needs to change. At the very least, it's a case that's going to be very uncomfortable for the New York Times because they got it wrong, and they got it wrong in a bad way. So they're going to be in a position at the trial of saying, well, we were wrong, but we, we didn't, we, there wasn't actual malice here. So here, here's what happens. You will remember, perhaps, a, a about four or five years ago, there was the, the shooting, June of 2017. There was a guy named James Hodgkinson, and he was the guy who opened fire on various members of Congress who were practicing for their annual charity baseball game in Alexandria, Virginia. Remember that, that, that shooting that happened? He managed to shoot four people, and he critically injured a, a representative, Steve Scalise, from Louisiana, before he then subsequently died in a shootout with police. Oh, okay, so that, you know that's what had happened. Hours before the shooting, the New York Times had published an editorial decrying political rhetoric that leads to violence hours after the shooting. And they went on to suggest that Sarah Palin had incited a previous deadly 
rampage. Um, as part of this editorial, because you, you might remember that there was a congresswoman named Gabby Giffords who in 2011, she was, she was the victim of, of a shooting. So the, you've got this deal where you've got the guy that opens fire, shoots the various congressmen while they're, while they're practicing. So the New York Times writes this editorial. In 2011, when Jared Lee Lochner opened fire, that's the guy that, that shot Congresswoman Gab- Gabby Gibberts. The link to political incitement was clear. Before the shooting, Sarah Palin's political action committee circulated a map of targeted electoral districts that put Ms. Giffords and 19 other Democrats under stylized crosshairs. So they're writing this editorial and they're saying, okay, that this is this is what Sarah Palin had done. They, they ran this particular ad and, and now look at what's happened. Well, the problem is um, it, it's all wrong. First of all, the, the ad that was in question, you know, never, never had a picture of, of uh, Gabby Giffords. Secondly, there was no evidence that suggested that the guy that shot Ms. Giffords had ever even seen this ad. Matter of fact, the evidence was that he was somebody who'd been stalking her for a long time and it had nothing to do at all with, with Sarah Palin. So they print this this editorial, and it's just it's flat out wrong. And then they they try to clean it up, and they try to clean it up a couple times, and actually their cleanups just end up making it worse. And so finally they they issue uh, a, a retraction on this. But the bottom line is they suggested that hey, it was this stuff that Sarah Palin did that led to this congresswoman getting shot, and and that was just false. Now, the New York Times has admitted that, that this was, in fact, false. And they've also admitted that their chief editorial writer, the opinion leader, he's the guy, he actually rewrote the editorial that one of the columnists had written, and, and he put in the offensive language. So it's clearly false. It's clearly defamatory in that, you know, it, it links Sarah Palin to th- this attempted murder of a congresswoman and and there's no evidence not only no evidence to support it it's just plain not true so she sues and the question is the new york times says okay we were we were wrong that this this was not true we have retracted it now if she was not a public figure if she was just some private citizen that had been accused of doing something that got somebody else shot she would be able to to sue but because she's Sarah Palin, because she's a public figure or a public official, there's a tougher standard. She can't recover unless she can show that the New York Times acted with what they call actual malice, defined as with knowledge that it was false or with reckless disregard of whether it was false or not. So because she's a public figure, she's got to prove that they knew it was in fact false. And that's kind of what the trial is going to be about. They've, they've been, they're, they, they've been, they deposed the, the people who did this all, and the Palin people are going to argue that this editorial writer had it in for her and actually knew or should have known that what he was saying was false. But there is this kind of larger issue that's out there, which is, all right, does the, does, does the media get away with too much? In other words, is this too tough a standard? If the media, whether it's Sarah Palin or Tammy Baldwin or whoever, if they write something which is, in fact, false, 
and it in fact is defamatory, should you have to prove actual knowledge? Or should they perhaps just be held accountable for what they write? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the, the idea behind this is we, we want to protect the media. We want to allow the media to express opinions and not be worried constantly that they're going to get sued for libel. Okay, so if the media wants to go after and attack Ron Johnson, or I don't mean to be political, or Joe Biden, or Tammy Baldwin, or whatever, and they want to write things about it, the way it stands right now is you can pretty much get away with writing stuff which um, is of questionable veracity because... Well, you know, you're not going to be able to prove that actual malice. How do you prove that somebody knew it was false? Gee, I heard this stuff on the Internet. I believed it. Um, it seemed reasonable at the time. And even though it turns out to be false, unless you can prove they knew it was false, you can't sue. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If there was more accountability for what newspapers write, what talk show hosts say, what commentators on Fox News or MSNBC say, if we did away with this actual malice standard, would would it promote a more responsible form of journalism? 855-616-1620. That's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. And, and see, this this cuts both ways. This, to me, isn't necessarily a, 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 a partisan type of thing because we, we hear so much about the lack of accountability and the things that get said about people and stuff like that. If we held people more accountable, would it for the things that they write or the things that they publish or the things that they say on television – would it be a better world? 855-616-1620, or it, would it completely stifle dissent if we said, hey, you, you, you shouldn't be out there saying false things about public figures, and if you do, you could be held accountable. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So one of our texters say, "Well, let, let me understand this. If if Sarah Palin wins, that this could be bad for for Tucker Carlson." And, and my answer would be, "Yeah, it could be, and it would be bad potentially for Rachel Maddow, and it would be bad for the New York Times editorial board as well." Somebody also texts and say, "Well, would, how would this not be the end of talking heads on radio and TV offering their opinions on topics?" And 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 again. This has nothing to do with, with opinions. You, you, have, you have the ability to state your individual opinion. What this says is that you can't, you can't say false things of, about people um, it, and, and be protected if the person is, is a public figure. So, you know, maybe you have to do some fact-checking before you do it, as it's supposed to just saying, look, it's one thing to say, gee, I think... I think this particular politician, fill in the blank, is, is the greatest congressman ever. Okay, that, that, that's, that's an opinion. It's another thing to say, though, gee, I heard this congressman's opponent, I, I think, you know, he robbed banks or he beat his wife or something like that or, you know, she stole stuff or whatever. That Right now, to sue 
it's very, very difficult because you would have to prove that the person knew it was false when they said it. Well, I didn't know it was false. I, I read this on, on the Internet. Or that you know they proceeded with reckless disregard for the truth. Um, you know, here's our text. You know, Jeff, fact-checking was always supposed to be at the heart of journalism, and libel laws exist for a reason. The line should never blur to obscure this. And, and see, that's one of the things that at least I, I think is going on now. I, I don't know how this case is going to turn out. And I, I do think that you do not want to chill the ability of journalists, whether they're traditional journalists or whether they're opinion journalists or whatever you want to call it, you you don't want to chill the ability of people to express opinions, and you don't want to chill the ability of the fact that that sometimes people just are are wrong. I mean, you get the facts wrong, and it's... It turns out that, you know, you're told one thing and you do some research and you check on stuff and it ends up that you get something wrong. I, I don't I, I don't think you want to get into a situation where every time there's someone that says something wrong about a, a public official that you give that public official the chance to run into court and claim, oh, I, I've been libeled. Now, in many cases, they're not going to have any sort of material damages or stuff like that. But I do think the media in general has hid behind this actual malice rule to essentially say we can pretty much say and do anything we want when it comes to a public figure and we're, we're going to be able to get away with it. And again, I say this about the right, the left, we're going to be able to get away with it because they're never going to be able to meet this tough standard of actual malice that is proving that we knew something w- was false or that we went in reckless disregard for the truth. It's such a high standard that essentially you're in a situation where where the, the mainstream media, as long as it's a public official, gets to do pretty much anything they, they want, knowing that there's no chance they're going to be sued. I would not be surprised, whether it's this case or another case, if the Supreme Court, when they get a chance to look at it, rolls this back a, a little bit, making it easier for public officials to sue. Now, I don't know, I, I don't think they're going to open the doors, and I don't think you're going to see every time somebody says something that turns out to be incorrect, that that's a basis for a lawsuit. But I, I think sometimes you see this pendulum swing, and I would not be surprised if the pendulum swings back a little bit to hold journalists accountable for what they say, what they write, what they put, you know, on television, et cetera, et cetera, when it comes to public officials. Not saying that people can't be wrong, because I don't think every time you're wrong about something that that's a basis for a lawsuit, every time you misspeak or every time you get a particular fact wrong. But if, in in the case of Sarah Palin, I mean, they're essentially, they, they made it up. They, they essentially said she ran an ad, and that ad led to um, this woman being shot and, and and of course it it's it's false it was demonstrably false the new york times admits that it it wasn't true but they say well we didn't know it was false at the time well if you're going to link somebody if you're going to say to a politician or a public figure you did something that got somebody shot you would think that you you really have to check that out and you shouldn't be able to hide behind the fact that well well we just got it wrong we didn't know it there there needs to be i think something that reigns in the media a bit I don't know what they're going to end up doing. I don't necessarily think that she's going to win the case in front of a jury, but I wouldn't be surprised if if this goes up on appeal, that somebody takes a look at these libel laws and says, you know, maybe we need to rein in people on the left and on the right. 
Back with more in just a minute. We'll find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.